1: getting a grip on what it means to be persistent. That is the focus of our time today as we catch up with Pastor Phil Howard for today's edition of Truth For Today. Sadly, I think our culture has bought into the McDonald's mentality. You've got to have it, and you've got to have it now. And what it does is it strips us of our ability to be persistent, determinative. Yet here in Scripture, we find an encouragement, an admonishment for us to be persistent with the Lord in prayer. We're in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. We're looking at the parable of the persistent widow. Join us, won't you? Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today.
2: I got the Bible that says, pray without ceasing. And that is, you never sign off. I got a verse in Ephesians that says, praying at all times on all occasions. So he's saying above all, he just gives his principle right up front before he tells. Now he says, let me tell you a story ...to emphasize what I mean, how God views this praying. And he tells about an insensitive judge and a persistent widow. The judge is probably a uh, Gentile, uh, probably appointed by Herod. And uh, he would settle many Jewish matters without the Jewish offended person having to go to a higher... ...let's say getting to the Sanhedrin would be very... ...it'd have to be a very high case to get there. But many lesser matters that uh, concern the Roman occupation and and little spats, they had appointed judges. Now, this guy neither fears God, so he doesn't know God, and he's not impressed with people. He's just doing his job. Insensitive. The only thing he's interested in is bribes. And if someone comes before him with position and money— he's interested. But if you don't have any advantage when you come to his court, you don't have a lawyer, you have no males represented, women weren't even allowed in court. Women were a nuisance anyway. You just wanted to keep the race going, so God gave us women. No courtroom rights. No men in her life. Widowed. The average age of marriage in that culture was 14. 14. So you had many young widows. You could be a widow in your 30s. So this woman's widowed, no men in her life, no advocates, no money to bribe with, no doubt a financial matter. And of all things, her case comes before a guy that's got a reputation. I don't fear God. I don't care about people. I care about bribes. And she keeps coming. And daily, get her out, get her away, get her out, get her away. I like to imagine at night she's throwing rocks on his window, yelling outside on the street, I want you to hear my case. And the guy is going batty with this woman. Just keep showing, because this is what she does. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, and the idea is she is wearing me out. She is on my... I'm about to have a nervous breakdown with somebody I don't even care about. A woman can do that, and so can grandchildren that won't take no for an answer. I love it in little children, just... uh, one of my grandchildren calls on, "Come on, Grandpa. He, he always wants to show me. I've seen it twice. I've put in my grandfatherly duty. I, I want to rest. Come, come. He doesn't know what it means to say no." And, and guess what? He usually wins. because I just it's not that I, in a great grandfatherly affection moment, I hope to get the boy to be quiet. Well, this widow, is this, this judge moves without any virtue, no virtue going on. He wants relief from a nag, a person that won't go away. And so, says, if she keeps coming, there's a powerful word here. Uh, she keeps bothering me. I will see that she gets justice so that she will not wear me out. Do you know the word wear me out? I know you don't know. That's why I'm asking you. Most of you don't. It literally means to blacken the eye. The word for wear me out, and it became metaphorically used of wearing someone emotionally down. But it literally meant the black of the eye. This woman is like giving me a black eye. Every time she sews up, keeps presenting her case, won't go away. She is emotionally wearing down an insensitive, uncaring judge. Now, Christ tells this story. Now, is God the Father an uncaring judge? No. It's a favorite rabbinic tradition. Use the argument from lesser to greater. It's a story in comparison and contrast. And the widow woman, one with no advocate, no advantage, no money, an impossible case. And now Christ is talking to his own. Let's think this through. Let's compare who we come to. We come to a father, not our judge. We come to someone who calls us his elect children. I chose you. You're, you're special to me. You're, you're in a, a special category A family affection. Uh, you come to one who said, if you call on me, I will hear you. We come to one who's invited us. Come cast your burdens on me. I come to one who says, you'll find mercy with me. You'll find forgiveness with me. You'll find understanding. I've been told to come as his child. He's hurt if I don't come. Waiting without strength. And he doesn't need to be bribed, for he owns everything that has value anyway. And he knows I'm a poor sinner saved by grace, so I cannot buy And one thing I have that this woman didn't have, I have a mediator and an advocate there at the throne who said, I will call my throne by the name of grace so that when you're in need, you will have an advocate. That's why you're to go to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Present it to the Father, but your leverage is the one who sits next to him. Jesus, represent me in this. And even when you're caught in sin, when you're in the middle of your sin, and Satan is there to accuse you and shame you and produce guilt, he says, when we sin, we have a court-appointed lawyer, Jesus, our advocate, who takes our case and presents it to the Father. Look what we have. And then, on the other side the widow, do I come as a widowed woman without any status? Friend, it's no small thing to be called God's elect. I don't care if you believe in election or not. God does. Who are you and I? We didn't write the Bible. God calls me his elect. You may call me a scumbag. How dare you? I'm God's elect. When you're a child of God, you're not just a little rubbish afterthought of God. I want to tell you a whole lot's involved in Him making you His child. Come as children to me, to a sensitive Father, an inviting Father, and I there will hear every need you have. I wonder how many times you mothers have kept going and made it. I must say this motherhood. And I think raising children is the most underrated thing going on in our country because having a job that makes a lot of money is what really makes a woman important. You know, I, I've got a daughter that's a valedictorian of her class, straight-A student all the way through, and she's pouring all of her time into a four-year-old strong-willed child, wasting all that education. But I wonder if we'll ever want another generation that knows God. I wonder if another generation that's been shaped by something besides MTV and stupid cartoons. I wonder if we'll have anybody that has any values transferred to them by a loving mother and a caring father. We act like motherhood can be replaced with a babysitter, replaced with TV. Just keep the videos coming. We don't need anyone to shape their values. Oh, dear women. Thank God for what you've done. And when you seem to be trashed by a culture that puts money value on everything and nothing on moral value. Thank God you've stayed by the stuff and tried to shape another generation. This is no small thing. And I'm sure you've had to call out to God in prayer a thousand times when nobody was telling you this will pay off. You know, children don't give you a bonus for the first 10 years. Mom, we'd like to give you a thousand-year bonus. You're You're doing a good job. Not quite. The bonus will be later. But this woman, she comes, and Christ is saying, when times are tough, when the pressures are overwhelming, pray, don't lose heart. The only thing I commend about the woman is she wouldn't give up. And then he takes it to a prophetic kind of ending because he's in a prophetic setting. He's taking it there. He says, will God take care of his own? He says, and God, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? One of the greatest problems we've had the church praying for 1900 years for Christ to come. The Diocletian persecution, come. Our mothers, our wives, our children were being killed. When will you show up? And for 1,900 years, he's delayed coming. And why has he delayed? You know why he delayed? He wanted to save another generation of people. He wasn't tired. God's delays are never the worst thing that can happen. They're working for a greater good, always, because he has a plan But he's saying, faith, if you keep praying, you'll keep your heart. You'll keep an attitude of courage, of hope in the midst of seeming. I think of Israel. All the years they languished under persecution, under Gentile domination. Don't give up the messianic hope. Don't give it up. And in the dire circumstance of Rome's occupation of Palestine, Messiah is born right under the reign of Rome. He snuck into town, and they never even knew it. Out of Bethlehem came a Redeemer. Keep praying. Don't give up. And I must say to you, church, pray, and we will keep our heart until we see his face. Because prayer will be a lifeline that will replenish us. And I must say, I struggle with prayer as much as anyone in this church. Uh, I have seasons of wonderful prayer. Every time I preach on prayer, I'll have a week I can't hardly pray. As soon as I tell you how to pray, I have a battle to pray. So I hate to preach to you about praying, because you'll be abounding, and I'll be fighting the devil all week. When I can teach people to pray better than I pray. It is something. As I was praying Thursday, though, and this passage was hitting me. I cannot tell you what prayer does. It tranquilizes my heart in the midst of every storm. When I have no answers, when the finance may not be there for the church or your own life, or when there's problems you can't solve on your own, when you've got grandchildren you can't save, only God. You know, let me tell you, folks, it's not over when you raise your kids. If you have a grandparent, they're going to heaven or hell, too. Somebody's got to be praying for them. Here, my daughter's trying... To adopt these two boys, you know it's an amazing thing? Never knew them in my life, but as soon as they're in my family circle, they're on my prayer list. God save Anthony. God save Brian. Two abandoned boys. Should we not be praying for the next generation, no matter who they are? Two little Mexican boys that an Anglo couple want to raise and show them the way to Christ. Pray or you'll lose your heart. Pray and you'll keep it. Pray and you'll go further than anyone ever thinks because God will hear your prayer. Pray and God will keep showing long suffering towards even the wicked and towards you. He's a patient God. He's a God that holds out his arm a long time. He may not kill your enemies. He may not remove your enemies, but he will enable you not to lose your heart with your enemies just to keep going. Uh, But he says something that's disturbing. When the Son of Man comes again, will he find the faith? I used to think that meant the body of truth. But it's really referring to, he's going back contextually. Will he find the kind of faith that persists in prayer and will not give up? Will he find a people who say, like a bulldog, I'm going to lay hold of God's promises. I'm going to believe God can do the impossible. He can save. He can do a work, even in West County. He can do a work in Africa. He can do a work in India. He can save Muslims. He can save people in Iran. He can save them in the Philippines, as Grace has reminded us. I want him when he comes. I guess the ideal place I used to think i liked like for him to come when I was preaching after this passage, i like for them to catch me praying. And one of the hardest things we have planned in this church, and we're negligent, is the path of corporate prayer. You know why? We just don't know if there's any of that kind of faith among you that you want to show up. Because a lot of church life, you've got to keep them entertained to keep them coming back. And there's nothing entertaining about prayer There's just something divine. God does something divine that the leaders can't do for you. He will give you your heart. He'll give you the courage to continue, to stay in a bad marriage, to not lose your sanity over a prodigal son or daughter, to keep going on when your boy is strung out on drugs and nobody seems to have an answer for you, uh, to stay when your husband is sick and declining in front of you and all hope for his recovery is ending only, I know of no other place I've got a verse, I've got a verse I've got a verse And he says pray and I'll see to it you won't lose your courage and I've lost courage many a times, I've lost both courage and prayer life I've done it as a pastor there's been seasons when I was so under siege so beset I could not hardly pray but I'm here today because somebody carried me through that time, and somebody was interceding for me. When my prayer life and yours fails, if you really want to get back, he'll pray for you in the meantime to get you back. Well, I just ask you this: Have you become weary? Have you written the letter of resignation? I would ask you before you turn it in, I dare you to spend some time in his presence, and wait on him. Have you filed for the divorce because you're tired of what you're living with? Hold on another five minutes. It might be the difference between a saved husband and a divorced, unsaved husband. Sometimes as pastoral counselors, we don't even have the courage to tell you to hold on. We'd say, boot him out. He doesn't have one right to be in your life. I've only seen praying women make a difference. It's the only way you can make it. Pray or faint. But the Bible says in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Isaiah thirty fifteen, And then the sad, sad divine reply. But you would have none of it. They said, we want a fast horse to escape the Babylonians. And God said, you won't escape your enemies by a fast horse. You will escape by resting in me, waiting in me. And uh, it's one of the disturbing things, as I see around us, the fatigue level. I was just at a ministry that is a booming ministry. And as I met with the pastoral staff, I said, what are your major issues? Fatigue. Uh, fast schedules, uh, can't hardly take a phone call, so busy doing kingdom work, we have no time for kingdom waiting, because we got to make it happen. They've only got 15,000 now. said, so how's the prayer lives going? That always brings silence in a room full of pastors. The average pastor in Leadership Magazine said praise five minutes a day. I don't know how I could verify that. But you know, I must say, I'm talking about my vocation. I cannot tell you how many burnout, beat up, and discouraged pastors we meet at pastor's conferences. You could weep. You wouldn't want to go to them very much. If they just shared their heart, what they're going through, this meeting, that meeting. And one guy said, I am so tired of board meetings i got to go to one more board meeting. I want to bail out. Been going to a lot of prayer meetings? Oh, man, that's when you got extra time. Because what really makes the church run is a good board meeting. Well, that's all deception. That's all. No, that's not true. Jesus said, if you want to keep your heart, you've got to keep praying. And when he comes back, the faith that he is scared for in his disciples. My concern is, will I find this kind of faith when I come? Will men and women be knocking on the door of heaven to a benevolent father, not a mean judge? And will my children not a disenfranchised widow? Will my children be asking for the salvation of their children maybe, the salvation of the marriage, the kingdom to advance? On and on and on and on. So none of us are immune from wanting to throw in the towel, give up. But before you bail out, why don't you get alone and have a good prayer meeting? And uh, you'll be amazed at how many resignation letters you'll have to put back in the file and say, instead of resigning, I re-signed up. That Sunday school class, I've been going batty with it. Those kids, I can't make them get it. Nothing's happening. I finally grabbed onto something. If I'll pray for those little kids that are driving me batty, God might do something divine with me and them. It's always easy to bail out. Matter of fact, it's just human. It's divine to continue. And the only way you can do it without being a hypocrite is for the great God we call Father to renew our strength, give us overwhelming peace, and give us the assurance, I will avenge you in time. I will vindicate you in time. I will just ask when I come, did you believe me enough to pray to the end? Don't quit. The race isn't over. The game's not over. I quote often Robert Morrison's great line, We have only one hour before sunset to win our victories. We'll have all eternity to celebrate them. We're in the last hour. Don't throw in the towel, but pray, but pray. Let me pray for you. Father, strengthen your precious people. Strengthen our precious mothers that are here today that have had to lean on you for a thousand childhood crises. We praise you for godly women, for mothers. I pray for every man and woman, boy and girl here who who are about to lose heart over some part of life. I pray, I pray that you would restore their heart and let them know the test of our faith is will we persist in prayer and not throw in the towel. Give us that strength for Christ's sake.
1: And that brings us to the end of another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. I'd like to leave you with our address, phone number, and web address in case you would like to contact us for whatever reason, whether it's a copy of today's program a question concerning the broadcast, or your own relationship with Christ, or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you. And if you would like to partner with us financially to ensure that this broadcast remains on this radio station, again, we would be ever so grateful. No gift is too small, no gift too large. So here are the various ways you can reach out to us. The easiest, of course, by phone. That number is 855 833 9864 that's 8558339864 or stop by our website truthfortodayradio.org. And then of course, as always, you can write to us. the address is 1511m Sycamore Avenue Suite 278 Hercules California 94547. And then, men, mark it on your calendar, March 8th and 9th. It is our men's conference, Walking to Win. Keynote speakers are our own Pastor Phil Howard and Pastor Jesse Gastand from Grace Bible Church in Hayward, also the host of the radio program, Way of Grace. Now, it is a Friday evening, Saturday day conference, and the price, $45 for ages 18 and older, 30 for youth, ages 12 to 17 will include dinner Friday evening and breakfast and lunch Saturday. If you have a desire to grow in grace, men, and find other men who are on the same walk and journey in Christ, we would invite you to join us. should prove to be a rather fascinating, insightful, and very encouraging conference. Again, that's March 8th and 9th. Mark it on your calendar. Contact us and plan on joining us. The phone number, once again, is 855 833 9864 or simply stop by our website truthfortodayradio.org and then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth for Today with Pastor Phil Howard.